Welcome to the Unconventional Path, entrepreneurship and innovation stories and ideas with Bela and Mike. Hi, I'm Bela, coming to you from the Clarkson University. I'm a former three-time entrepreneur, venture capitalist, and now the David D. Ray Professor of Innovation and Entrepreneurship here at Clarkson University. And coming to you from Münster, Germany, I'm Mike Wasserman, Professor of International Management at the Münster University of Applied Sciences. First, we want to thank you for joining us, and we hope you all enjoy listening to this as much as we enjoy creating this. Second, several of you have asked, hey, why are you doing this? And it's, it's not certainly a moneymaker for us or anything like that, um, but the two of us both share a passion for learning from smart and interesting people. We're interested in how the world is changing, how innovation and entrepreneurship are changing. Um, we like to overlay our observations and compare them with the lessons that we've each learned uh, over three-plus decades as entrepreneurs, investors, managers, and professors. To do this, we've put together our network of interesting friends, former students, and business partners, along with other people we've met along the way recently, to bring you fascinating stories, interesting ideas, and insights into innovation, entrepreneurship, and the people that take unconventional paths to find happiness at work and in life. Before we get today's guest, a quick thank you to our sponsors, Clarkson University and the Minster University of Applied Sciences. Today's guest is Jack Bosch. He came to the United States as a college student on a semester abroad program. He ended up finishing his degree here and got a job offer in a large company. Well, as many entrepreneurs discover, working for a large company is not for them. So while still working for this large company, he started a side hustle and he started dabbling in real estate. Well, as they say, the rest is history. As Jack and his wife, Michelle, have built a thriving real estate business with an interesting twist. All right, Bela, I'm fascinated to hear the rest of the story. Let's get to it. Hello, folks. Bela Musitz here. Today, I'm here with Jack Bosch. Uh, Jack Bosch uh, is a real estate investor, educator, and uh, an immigrant to this country. So that's a thing we have in common, and uh, I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit during the podcast. Uh, so welcome to the podcast, Jack. Thank you very much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, thanks for taking the time. So uh, let me ask you the, the first question I tend to ask most people. Um, when you're at a, a social event, a networking event, I should say, and uh, you walk up to somebody and introduce yourself, uh, what do you say? Uh, that's a great question. So if I'm at a general networking event, um, then... I, which I don't go to many, but if I do, then I, I would introduce myself as, uh, as a real estate investor. And then people ask me like, oh, okay, what do you do? What kind of thing? They assume kind of that we flip houses. And that gives me an opening to basically right away tell people that, no, we're actually not doing house flips. Uh, houses are, um, are, are great, but uh, there's way too many hassles if, uh, for, for my taste in the housing world. So we, flip, we actually flip land because you can do everything with houses it's kind of like what i would say and then they either say like uh-huh and they walk away or they're like oh tell me more about that ah very nice very nice so uh jack tell me more about that <laughs> that's what that, that sounds so i might also tell them that we also buy apartment complexes and other things it depends on what kind of networking it is if it's a group that, that that's full of investors that want to passively invest i might talk more about the apartment complexes and if it's somebody is a group that wants to learn how to actively invest, then I talk about the land flipping because that is a more active investment strategy. So uh, what we uh, the land flipping is basically very simple. 
is um, just like people flip houses, we flip land. Like just like people go and they um, find uh, properties that the owners no longer want, want uh, we find a landowner that they no, no longer want their property with the benefit that, that there's many, many more landowners that don't want their land other than, than there's house owners. And there's also almost no competition. So you can do with land flipping uh, exactly what you can do with house flipping. We buy them very, very cheap because there's a, a, a lot of uh, landowners that just inherited the land. They have owned it for many years. They've been kind of paying property taxes for decades. They're sick and tired of that. They don't want to do that anymore. There's lots of people who are willing to let their properties go for literally almost nothing. And uh, we pick them up for anywhere from five to 25 cents on the dollar. And then we turn around and we go sell them for um, close to market value. Or if we get it uh, super cheap, just like we wholesale them for about half of market value. So in other, in other words, we wholesale land, we retail land, we sell land also a lot with, uh, with, with owner financing. So sell or carry back basically. Um, and we sometimes split land. So you can do everything with land that you can do with houses with a big difference that there's no houses involved in it. So you don't have to worry about tenants, toilets, termites, mold, repairs, foundation, foundation issues, um, roof issues, contractors, banks, and all that kind of stuff. It's really a simpler way to do real estate flipping with the same or better profits. Yeah, yeah, that's very interesting. So, Jack, how did you, how did you develop the expertise to do this? Well, we actually kind of stumbled into that uh, because we, when we started out, we were, um, both my wife and I are not from here. We're uh, immigrants from, uh, from, I'm from Germany. My wife is from Honduras, Central America. And uh, we um, came to this country to finish our, uh, to basically get our college degrees. And afterwards we worked and we were, and we soon realized we didn't really enjoy doing what, um, what was, supposed to be the norm right what everyone is being told to do which is get a good education get a good job work from eight to five or in my case more like eight to ten uh eight a.m to ten p.m or so often um then go have fun on the weekend buy that house buy that uh buy that uh i don't know whatever it is the second buy a car a nicer car get into debt work until you're 65 and then uh retire and hope you have enough money to retire at that point we, we soon two three years into this we're like uh, realized that this was not our definition of the american dream this was not our definition of what we wanted to do for the rest of our lives and and we started looking around and we came across we we, we thought we need we, we realized we needed to do something different and so we went against basically the the the, the uh the common the common advice that uh, which I just laid out, which to me is like uh, the worst advice that that the world has ever heard. That just work until you're 65 and hope. That that sounds horrible. So anyway, um, I uh, we looked around. We found real estate ultimately after looking at all kinds of different businesses. But we struggled, like so many people. We struggled for a couple of years getting things going, and then we just literally stumbled upon a few pieces of land uh, by actually looking. We came across this concept of tax liens and tax deeds, and um, that, that the fact that people don't pay their property taxes was like mind blowing to us coming from another country where this is handled completely different. And so we, we had that thought that, um, and even there we, we struggled because we, we attended tax lien auctions, we bought some liens, and then they were paid off within a matter of 
six weeks and we made like $3.72 in interest. And we attended some tax deed auctions where they actually auctioned off the property and we were outbid, like, and we, we couldn't buy anything. Um, so we came up with a thought that what if we go to the people that owe property taxes and contact them directly? So develop the letter, contact them, and all of a sudden, the only people that wrote us, that called us back were landowners. So the first property we come across using that method, we, we, uh, we analyzed it was worth like 10 grand. And we, and the, the guy basically said he doesn't want it anymore. He was moving away. He didn't want to deal with it anymore. He had just come out of divorce. He wanted a clean slate. And he basically almost told me, told us, you can have it. So we offered him 400 bucks for it. And literally the day we bought it, because we figured, what the heck? I mean, the worst case scenario is going to make a thousand on it, right? We're going to sell it for a thousand. It's worth 10. We're not going to sell it for nothing. And, and we, we drove up to the property after we bought it, put a sign on there, and the next door neighbor came across the street, bought it on the spot for $4,000. And then we, we basically had made 10 times our money. And then two weeks later, another land deal came and another land deal and another land deal. And soon enough, we realized that let's, uh, let's forget about the houses because although houses are great and now we own 40 houses or 40 or 50 houses and we own 300 and something units and apartment complexes, so the hassle amount, the amount of work involved in the houses and the apartment complexes is like uh, multi, multi, multi-fold the amount of work is involved in the land because there's nothing to do on a piece of land. So we started seeing more and more and more. And then soon we realized that it's not only the tax delinquent people that want to get rid of their property. 80% of our deals now or 80 plus percent of our deals are people don't owe any property taxes. So we then abandoned that tax delinquent kind of angle. We're just going after land. And by now we have done 4,000 deals. Yeah, yeah. So as, as you're saying there, it, you know, it made me think about all successful entrepreneurs. Uh, sometimes they stumble across opportunities. And, uh, they, but the important thing is they recognize the opportunity. And uh, I think the other interesting thing about what you said was you figured out a way to take out the middleman in the transaction which on those tax liens was the county or the state or whatever the municipality was. And uh, you figured out a way to go directly to the landowner. And that too was another great characteristic of, if you look at lots of successful entrepreneurs, they figure out a different business flow in order to get to their customers and in order to uh, achieve that. Um, uh, very true. Very true. So in, in, indeed, uh, we, we basically, and that's a very common uh, theme. I just talked to somebody else about that earlier today that, that you, people say like, well, that was lucky. And it's like, no, it was, yes, it was, it was a coincidence that we got to present it with land. But I know people who flip 300 houses a year. And when they come across a piece of land, they just discard it. They just throw it away. They just, no, I'm not interested. It's what they tell the seller. And, um, because they don't know it, they don't understand it, they're focused somewhere else, they come across the same opportunity, but they don't recognize it. So the recognition came from a point of, in our case, pure innocence, and actually from the fact that we knew nothing about real estate helped us in that case, right? Yeah. It helped us because it made us not overthink things. And as like, if I don't know how much it costs to rehab a kitchen or a bathroom or replace a roof or fix a foundation, and then the best real estate method for me to get into is one that I don't ever have to learn that. Right, right. right? And because if you make mistakes on, on, on not 
estimating the cost properly, then that's the difference between success and failure oftentimes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So uh, let's go back just a little bit uh, uh, back in history. So you and I have a, a common uh, uh, theme between us. We're both immigrants. I, I came to this country from Hungary uh, back uh-huh. in 1956 as a young lad. And uh, so when did you uh, immigrate here? I came over here in uh, 1997, and my wife, Michelle, actually in 1995. Okay. And you came, I think you mentioned uh, earlier uh, that you came over to uh, get some education? That's right. My wife, uh, Michelle, came over here to get her undergrad, and then subsequently she got a master's. And I, I came here to finish my German degree, which is kind of a hybrid between an undergrad uh, and, a, and a master's and and um, and they the German university had an exchange program with an American university and I was able to basically take some classes here and with that finish uh, ball uh, get like a degree here and get my finalized my German degree over there and the goal was to for both of us both of us had jobs lined up in our respective countries and um, and but then you know what something we fell in love with the country and with each other. And as a matter of fact, the, uh, we just had our 18th wedding anniversary just this week. Oh, congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you. Very nice. And so I, I, I'm, always, uh, I'm always interested in sort of learning how people think about big decisions in life. I mean, and clearly, you, 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 you both of you together made a big decision in life, which was not to go back uh, to your native country. Uh, I mean, you came here with that intention. And and then you decided, you know what, we're going to stay here and we're going to make a go at it in this country. And right. uh, so share share with our listeners a little bit of how you think about that and, and sort of the the I'll use the word analysis if there is if you did any, uh, how you sort of thought about it and came to the conclusion. Well, the first decision was to actually come to the United States. I had never been to the U.S. before, but I basically made a sheet that has the pros and cons. So the pros was I would learn English because my goal back then was to actually go back to Germany and become like a management consultant. And uh, and I realized that I needed to improve my English vastly at that point of time. Um, and so I said, like, improve my English. I get an American degree. I can show future employers that I have, show, have flexibility. I have no tra- problem traveling around. All these kind of revenue enhance, uh, not revenue, resume and va- enhancing uh, things that I looked at, how can I make my resume look better for the job world, right? And then once I was here, the decision really became a actually a much, uh, other than the love aspect, obviously, which was easy, I guess I have a wonderful wife, uh, and you know, Michelle is a wonderful uh, business partner and wife and um, very, very wonderful person. So we, um, that was the easy part, but this, uh, making a decision to stay here was like, uh, was like, Twofold. Well, first of all, you were still dating, so there's still the possibility that things wouldn't work out, right? So I, right. I, th- I thought about it from that point of view. It's like, well, if it doesn't work out, I go back to Germany and I can show additional work experience and even better English. So in that point of view, it's not going to be an issue. Uh, from a point of view of, uh, of qualification, the first thing is I needed to get a job, and that was I truly got lucky. Like there were 10 Germans in that class that were doing this exchange program. All 10 wanted to stay. I got lucky. I was the only one of the 10 that actually got a job in the U.S. Um, so that was, I think, pure luck. And uh, I don't know what, what caused that divine, divine intervention, right, to allow me to be here. Um, but 
But then one big decision was the decision when we made the decision to really, really stay here long term. Basically, when we made the decision to go get married, uh, to stay here, to buy our first house uh, and to really make this our home. Uh, that decision was probably the, the hardest one, but that decision was actually easiest, too. But that decision came with a few extra decisions. And the extra decisions are actually part of the reason why we are now in the financial position of being able to travel around the world when we want, because we made that part of our, our non, as we call them, non-negotiable items. So basically, when we decided that we would stay in the United States, at the same time, we also made a decision to not give up the relationship with our families in our respective countries. That was a very, very big piece of the decision. And that yes. big piece of decision drove us, not uh, was, was a material part in driving us to start our own business. Because after being in the corporate world with two weeks vacation and a $50,000 income, you don't right. have any time or money to go travel to Europe once a year, to go travel to Honduras once a year, and have some free time to get to know the United States, it's just not going to happen on two weeks vacation. So after doing this for a couple of years, we realized this is not, this is not working. We are committed to staying here. We're committed to each other. But the part of not staying in contact with our families is just not working out. So we got to change what we do because we made that commitment. Yes. Yes. So Jack, that's, that's really fabulous the way you articulated that because it gets me to thinking about this notion of understanding what your priorities are in life Absolutely. and what's, in, what's important to you and then building your life and your career, uh, your job, your other activities around those priorities uh, as opposed to you know, I think as as you were sort of saying there, some people will will have their priorities, but they will go make these decisions, maybe because they're easier or for whatever reason, but then that fundamentally prevent them from executing on their priorities. And, right. and so I think that's another great sort of thing that you've shared with us, again, that I think entrepreneurs often have, is they have this ability to to understand what their priorities are and then build their life around those priorities so that they achieve not only their career goals, but also their life goals. And there's, and there's a balance between them in a manner in which works for them. Right. And, and I, I even want to use a stronger word and I did use a stronger word in the priorities. I call it the non-negotiable items. So we have, we have certain priorities and in our lives. And for me, family is, is number one. And, um, and then, and, and that has become like when something is a non-negotiable item, that means that everything else will step behind that item. Like, right, so right. it's just not, it's, it's almost more than just the priority. Priority sounds like a nice to have. And I know people, people don't use it that way, but, but some people are like, yeah, it's my priority to do that. But if it's your true, true, true priority, it's a non-negotiable item. Yep. And, and, and that then drives the courage because it was scary to step out in the, on your own. Not from a technique. Our philanthropic technique is simple. But from a, I don't have anyone in our family that I could look up to and say, hey, they're a successful entrepreneur. Now, my brother, about time at the same time as I did, also stepped out into entrepreneurship. But there's nobody that like an older uncle or somebody says like, yes, here's what you do and here's how it's going to work out. 
So everyone in our in our family is an employee, even government employees, tenured government employees, and stuff like that. So, so uh, me going against the grain in a different country with Michelle, also obviously on my side and then often in front of me. Uh, basically, the two of us stepping outside was very very scary. And the only way we were able to actually do it is by keeping these priorities or non-negotiable items right in front of us. It's like whenever we doubted ourselves, we're like, well, not doing it means that the one number one thing that matters to us will suffer underneath. And we're not yes. willing to do this. And, uh, and then, then we took the next step and took the next step and took the next step. And, and, uh, and then you actually have to become the person you want to be. We ask ourselves consciously the question, who do we need? And we do this on now all the time. As we, as we throw up bigger challenges for us, and as we grow as, as investors, as human beings, as, as, as entrepreneurs, we ask ourselves, who do I have to become in order to tackle that challenge? And, and, and then we go on a quest to find out who do we need to become, what do we need to learn? And uh, in the process, we, we grow in leaps and bounds. Just, just over the last four or five years, we, when, when we, we have gotten into kind of a, a comfort zone, we're like, no, let's bring this one level up. So we, we added apartment complex investing. And I'm not talking duplex and fourplexes. We bought 100 units, 146 units, a 90 unit, and a 94 unit apartment complexes worth over 20, $25 million each. Uh, no, total, I mean, uh, just in the, last, um, in the last couple of years. And that entire process required us to become another level of investor in order to do that. And, and so it's, 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 it's the becoming comes first uh, before you actually um, be up, before you actually reach your goals. Right, right. Well, the, the beautiful thing about, about having uh, these guiding principles or these non-negotiable items is that it helps you make decisions. Because when you come to a crossroads, uh, oftentimes it's very easy to make the decision because of your non-negotiable item. You say, this is the only one that we can do out of the, out of the alternatives in front of us. So I find right. those to be also exceptionally helpful. So let me, uh, let me, let me take a little, uh, a little detour here. And the real estate business, uh, when you're investing in real estate, oftentimes, you know, requires uh, significant uh, amounts of cash. And every entrepreneur knows that uh, the P&L statement is not all that important, but it's all about cash flow. So how did, how did you guys sort of deal with that in the beginning when you were starting out, the ability to, to buy properties, uh, regardless of whether they were houses or whatever, uh, any type of real estate, and deal with the cash flow challenges? <coughs> well, um, the way we did that is actually, um, again, by focusing on an asset class, in our case, land, that actually doesn't require as much uh, cash as other asset classes. So as I said, the first, the first deal, we, uh, we had $3,000 for our name, no credit, no credit history, or very little credit history in this country. Um, again, we, we were just coming into 1997. Within a matter of five years, you don't develop 800 credits, right? So uh, I, I mean, we built up our credit slowly, but we had no money, no experience, no credit. So how do you do it? And no relationships either. Like we knew nobody in the industry, no hard money lender, nobody. So we focused on an asset class that we could buy with pocket change, right? Pieces of land under $100,000 and usually under about 20 or under $50,000 that we could buy for five to 25 cents on a dollar. So as I said, the first deal we bought for $400. 
Now, $400 we did have. We don't need to go to a bank and get a loan for it. We don't need to have, uh, have good credit for that. We just pulled $400 out of our checking account, which had $3,500. That's all the money we had, all our savings, and bought a piece of land with it. And then two weeks later, uh, $4,000 came back. Then we bought the next property. We got 40 acres for $500 and uh, sold it for $10,000, actually on eBay out of all places, and got a $10,000 check back. And now we were we had basically added thirteen thousand dollars in cash uh, in a matter of uh, about four or five weeks. And then we kept doing that. And in the first ten months, we literally paid off about uh, about a hundred thousand dollars worth of um, of uh, you know about fifty thousand dollars worth of credit card debt, consumer debt, student loan debt, furniture debt for that matter, car debt and put another $50,000 in cash on the sidelines, which was a year's worth of income for me. And at that time, it was, at that point, we could quit our jobs because also the green card had arrived, the permanent residency had arrived. So we were able to bootstrap this with this, with this land flipping technique because we never needed money or cash or at least not much money. And our students that we now teach, the last 10 years we have been teaching this, our students, they're doing the same thing. One of our students, Anshul, is from India, similar situation, right? Can't leave his job because his visa is tied to his job, like my visa was tied to me, tied me, to, tied me to my job. Um, he did his first deal by buying a property for $66,000, putting it on a contract for $66,000, selling it for $112,000 or so, and making a $46,000 profit without using any of his own money. So basically, by doing creative deals, by doing double closings, by doing assignments and things like that, you can do deals without using any money. You just need a few hundred dollars in marketing expenses a month uh, to send some letters out because we use, do use direct mail. Um, so many of our students are doing deals uh, without using any of their money. Most of our students are in a similar situation that they don't have much money, that they don't have much uh, free. Uh, they might not have the best credit. They might not have any relationships. But by focusing on an asset class that doesn't cost $200,000 a pop, but then you can pick it up for $2,000 a pop and sell it for $25,000. You can bootstrap this without needing anyone around you. And that's a beautiful right. thing. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, and the other thing I was thinking about there while, while you were saying that is this notion of you can start with just one property. You, you don't have to buy 10. So not, not only and, – and then you, you can sell that first one before you buy your second one. So, you know, in some businesses, the, the upfront capital expenses are, are really high and the income doesn't come for sometimes months or years later. Uh, right. with, your, your mod, with your business model here, uh, you, you're executing, at least when you started, this ability to do one at a time and build from one to the other to the next, which, again, helps you manage that, that cash flow requirement. So, exactly uh, right. So, and then... And then what we started to do uh, is we started actually to sell these properties with uh, financing. So we got a property under contract, or we actually bought it um, for, that was worth about $25,000. We bought it for about uh, $3,000. And we put it on the market for about $22,000. So a slight discount of market. And, um, and somebody would come to us and say, I would love to buy this property, but I don't have $22,000. Would you mind if I give you a $3,000 down payment and make monthly payments that I can afford about the $300 or $350 monthly payment? So I was like, we looked at that and we we're like, of course we'll do that. We'll be happy to do that. Because when we paid $3,000 for the property and he wants to give us $3,000 back, that means we got all the money back that we paid for the property like a week or two after we bought it. So our money was only out for a week or two and then we got it back. 
and then he makes $350 a monthly payment for the next like 10 years. I mean, that became, that was pretty much a no brainer for us. And it started bringing in cash flow. And the funny thing is $350, $400, $500 is about the average cash flow that, that somebody that most people make on rental properties, just our cash flow doesn't come in, is not subject to vacancies, is not subject to repairs and tenants, toilets, termites, trash repairs and, and midnight move outs. It's just pure cash flow because they don't even live on there. So we started right. doing that. And within a matter of a few months, we built another $5,000 a month in cash flow from that, which again was more than my income at that time. And then we were doubly, double financially free all in a matter of, uh, of about 10 months. Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, how is how do you measure the size of a of a business like yours? Is it annual uh, dollar volume of sales, or uh, how do you how do you sort of think about that? That is actually probably the best question. I've, I, 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 that is a great question. Uh, the, I actually don't don't really know. I mean, you can do it by by profits made. You can look at it by amount of property sold. Which in that case, I mean, somebody sells and three somebody sells. 10 houses in Los Angeles at $700,000 a pop and they made way more revenue than we have made, but they made $700,000 in profit. Let's say if they make a hundred grand on each and we probably made more than that just on smaller land deals. So it's, it's hard to say. I mean, I can, we can talk about, we built our cash flow up to over $70,000 a month in pure profit cash flow. Um, mm -hmm. We've had years where we've done 800 deals in a year. Um, we, we, right now we do between 50 and hundred deals a year. So we slowed it down a little bit, but it's also because we are also teaching it. We're also buying apartment complexes and we also have a 11 year old daughter now that for the last few years, we've been traveling a lot with her. So we're just taking things a little slower, but 50 to hundred deals is still, I think pretty, pretty, pretty yeah. substantial amount. And, and how many, how many employees do you have, Jack? Um, on the land flipping side, it's really only three people. So it's uh, a virtual assistant that helps with the land listings. It's, uh, it's one person that uh, does all the deal analysis and the value analysis. And it's a full-time land salesperson that sells all the land. And, uh, and then if you want to add to that, because everything else almost can be outsourced in the process. So when, when, when we sent out direct, letter, direct mail, we used to do the direct mails in-house. We had a cheap printer that we just printed it on, but it's actually cheaper to do it through a mailing house. So we use a mailing house that prints the letters for us and mails them out. We use a call center now that has professional people sitting there on the, on the, on the phone uh, 24 hours a day. So we don't miss the phone call anymore, uh, but the phone calls are all being taken when they're, when they're coming in. And then uh, we take care of making the offer of the deal analysis value analysis, making the offers and listing and selling the properties. And that doesn't require a lot of, a lot of manpower. I could do it. I could do it myself, but I, I just, I just do. And we used to do it ourselves, of course, all of it. But now we have a small team around that that does that. Right. Right. Very nice. Now you've mentioned a couple of times that you've also gotten, got, have gotten into uh, sharing your knowledge with others through some uh, education and seminar type programs. Can you talk about that a little bit? Uh, sure. So it's about 10 years ago, 11 years ago, actually, uh, when the market started crumbling around, uh, around the housing world, because the house of that then was really, um, uh, my opinion, it was a big game of musical chair. Like, uh, nobody, nobody invested based on fundamentals. And Michelle and I, we are, we are absolute big time fundamental investors. We love Warren Buffett. 
sustainable uh, permanent value approach. Uh, it's just, uh, it's just, you just never fail when you follow a, an approach like that. And we were buying these properties cheap and selling them high, but everyone else was buying, the, the, buying they're all buying the houses, buying $300,000 houses that had a, had a $1,500 mortgage, but only a $1,200 rent. It just didn't make sense. And, and so when that music stopped, lots of people lost their shirts and, uh, and were completely wiped out, but we were not. Our business continued to working. Yes, where are prices impacted? Absolutely. We, when, we, when we used to buy something for $2,000 and sold it for $20,000, well, now we could only sell it for, now we would buy it for $500 and sell it for $8,000. So our margins were compressed, but uh, in terms of absolute dollar amounts, but we were still making, making money and selling properties every day. Um, so we realized that a lot of these techniques that people were doing were just not working anymore, but ours was working. So we, and, and plus in the land area, there's absolutely almost no competition. So because everyone and their brothers was focusing on the houses, it's the same thing today. Again, everyone is chasing houses. Like the house area is so overrun with investors. Then, oh, can you do deals? Of course you can do deals. No, no, no doubt about it. Right. I mean, I know guys that do 300 house deals a year, but they're spending something like they're sending out a hundred thousand postcards a month in order to get like 10 deals from that. And then they have a team on the phone and they're doing all kinds of crazy stuff uh, to get, to get to that level. And uh, we, we realized that you don't have to do all of that. We, our average student gets a deal for every three to 500 letters that they send out. So you can, you can drop 500 letters. Uh, you, you can spend $150 a week on, on mailers and have a reasonable expectation that on average you get, you get a couple of deals a month, right? That's 24 deals a year and an average profit of, let's say, just $10,000. That's a quarter million dollars a year. So we started realizing nobody does that because everyone is focusing on the house wealth. I've been screaming this from the rooftops, and we're the number one land education company in the country, the original ones, the biggest one, even though we're small. Uh, we have been screaming this from the rooftops, and it's just a different concept. And so we're still no competition out there. And uh, so, so as a result, uh, we, we realized back then we needed to teach this. So we came up with a course. Uh, we learned about how to spread the, the word about the course. And we started and we have been doing that ever since. And now we have, we have a, a home study course. It's an online course. It's constantly being updated with the latest and greatest. We have live events. We have coaching. Uh, we have a, a land-specific deal management, customer relationship management, uh, deal software that we've developed and, and, and things like that. And, and our students, and we have a Facebook group where we have our, our students are hanging out in and, 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 and helping each other succeed. And, and we've created this land movement that still, there's still no competition out there because we have 3,007 counties and we perhaps have, by now we have perhaps three or 400 people that do this full time. So for every one land flipper, there's 10 counties so, but we've, we've created this movement. It's almost like it's our, a tribe, our family. And when we do a live event, there's usually about a quarter of the people that's there for the third, fourth, fifth time. And they're, they're hanging out, they're doing deals together. They're celebrating these deals. And, and, and there's just an amazing amount of success in the group. Yeah. So Jack, what's, uh, as you, as you look out for the next, uh, let's say three years or so, what, what do you think uh, is in your future? Um, so in our future, I think we're definitely, we're obviously, we continue doing land deals. We'll do land deals probably in real estate for the rest of our lives. But uh, we'll continue doing land deals because the market today is better than I've ever seen it before. 
right? Like even in 2000, like, it's literally the way that it was like uh, 2003, four, five, which is just an absolutely amazing market. Uh, meaning that there's lots of sellers that are willing to let their properties go for almost nothing. And there's um, lots of buyers on the market, like lots of buyers on the market. Uh, plus there's so many different new ways that you can sell properties through that it's uh, that, that the selling is getting, is becoming faster and faster and faster. When it used to take us, I don't know, three, four weeks to sell a property. Sometimes now it sells in like, it's it many, for many of our students, it sells like in a day or two days. And, and the margins are, are exploding. Like one of the guys just did $192,000 on a deal. Now that's not normal, but it happens now. And it happens more and more frequently. So what I see as the market being, I see the market continuing to being strong for at least another couple of years. I know there might be, everyone talks about there might be a recession coming in the next 18 months, but I don't think it will be a strong recession. I don't think it will be a massive recession. I think if the real estate prices will hold up very nicely because if you look at real estate prices, uh, as a continuum over the last 25 years, um, yes, they had a big spike in 2008 and their 7-8, and then they have crashed massively, but they've roared back. And it's almost like if you would have taken 2001's prices and, a, and, a, and increased them by 2 to 3% a year, every single year, with no crash, you would be at the prices in many markets that they are today. So the market has recovered to where the market should be right now. So there's no overpricing in the market in most markets, except perhaps Los Angeles and San Francisco and so on. But, uh, but most other markets are not overpriced. Phoenix, where I live, is not overpriced. And, and uh, so I don't think that a big crash is going to come. Instead, real estate will stay attractive for lots of people, um, which means our technique keeps working. So what we're doing is we keep flipping land. And we keep getting cash flow from our rental portfolio that we now build up. When we built that up in the downturn, like when everyone was running away from real estate, we jumped into the housing market and bought a ton of uh, rental houses. And then in the last few years, we started buying very strategically, very few, but very good deals on the apartment complex side. And uh, so we're continuing and we're doing that because uh, we're taking the money that we're making in land flipping and in land cash flow and in cash flow from rental houses and moving them back over. The, the goal of money is not to be spent. The goal of money is to be reinvested and produce more cash flow. So we're, 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 we're basically constantly reallocating our, our cash and cash flow that's coming in through all the different sources of income we have and into more cash flow producing assets. And that's going to be the story for our lives, not for the next three years, but for the next 50 years. Yeah. Yeah. So, Jack, if uh, our listeners want to reach out to you, uh, how, what's the best way to get in touch with you? All right. There's a couple of ways. Uh, first, you can join our Facebook group. It's a free Facebook group. It's a closed one. You're just going to be asked a couple of questions like, uh, do you agree to not spamming and things like that? And, um, and because it's a no solicitation, no sales uh, group, it's truly just a group to help each other succeed. And uh, that group is called Land Profit Generator. Uh, real estate group on Facebook, Land Profit Generator Real Estate Group. And then uh, also uh, we have a website where you can watch a educational training program. That's called, it's free also. Uh, that one is called LandProfitGenerator.com. So uh, basically if you go to LandProfitGenerator.com or uh, LandProfit um, uh, or to Facebook and type in Land Profit Generator, you'll find us, uh, you'll find us and you can be plugged in, you can learn about what we do and, and just see, uh, see how well this is working for so many people. Excellent, excellent. 
so I want to wrap this up here uh, because we're almost on 40 minutes. So let me ask one last question, Jack. Um, if you were going to give some advice to uh, a new entrepreneur uh, who wants to do some of these types of things, what are the one or two things that you would tell them to focus on? Um, what I would focus on, uh, what I would tell them to focus on is, uh, to not it, to really know yourself, know yourself and know your personality and know you, how you are doing with stuff. If you're the type of person that gets excited every, every three weeks about something new, uh, then you might want to get yourself somebody that keeps you in line. Like for example, a coach, right? Focus, look at the different methods that you have been exposed to and pick one. Um, obviously, I'm biased towards the land one, but it happens to be the simplest one too. Pick one and the fastest scalable one um, and pick one and then do the, then get somebody to keep you in line so that the shiny penny syndrome doesn't happen and three weeks later, you have more shelf help and you, uh, you, you're all already on to the next thing. Because jumping from thin to thing is not ever going to make you successful. Uh, picking something that is uh, true to your, let's say, close to your nature, close to your, to, to your skill set and close to your level of expertise is the key to success. Like, for example, uh, we buy these apartment complexes now, right? This is a humongous effort. Because you got the underwriting is like last time, we, I think we had 16 people looking at the property and all kinds of aspects and, and plumbing and roofing and all kinds of stuff. 16 people for two days at the property, uh, financial analysis, uh, qualifying for the uh, negotiating the deal with, uh, with attorneys involved and $20,000 checks and stuff like that and, and cost them. And then having to do the analysis and having to then manage the property and, 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 and you name it and property management is a humongous, uh, humongous effort. If I would have come across the opportunity to do such a deal back 16, 17 years ago, I would have been running the other direction loudly screaming. And the reason is because, as I said earlier, I knew nothing. My confidence level was low. My expertise level was no, low. Uh, my time level was low. And I knew absolutely my head not from my behind as you nice as you know you know what i mean right in yeah. this in this yep. kind of area so so find people get attracted by dollar figures they hear oh in multifamily you can make a million dollars that is true it's also going to it's also going to be a tr tremendous effort of getting there at the same time doing land deals is also can also make you a million dollars it took us a million dollars in profits in 18 months but it was a much simpler deal. So I'm not saying land is better than apartments. Both is, both is great. You got to know yourself. If you're already super experienced in real estate and you want a simpler life, and land flipping might be the right thing. If you yeah. want a super experienced in real estate, you want to challenge yourself one more time with a very complicated process, apartment complexes for you. So know yourself and, and basically based on where you are in your life, in the season of your life, the time that you have left, how quickly you need to make profit, uh, what, how much time you have, how much, what speaks to you, what method of investment truly speaks to you, that's what you should be focusing on because then you focus on something that fits your current life situation and that means your chances of success is a multiple times higher. 
Yeah. Yeah. Great, Jack. Great advice. If I, if I could summarize that into three points, one is know yourself, keep focused, right? Don't keep chasing the next shiny object and start simple and uh, don't exceed your capabilities. So that was great. Hey, Jack, uh, really, really great to, uh, to, to talk with you today. Uh, thank you very much for coming on to the podcast. This was really informative. I've certainly learned a lot of things. It's been a real pleasure, and I, I wish you the best going forward. Thank you very much for having me. I, I, I was excited to be here. Thank you. Yep. Thanks again, Jack. Bye-bye. Bela, that was a really interesting interview with Jack. Uh, what were your main takeaways from your conversation? Well, uh, I think it was really interesting uh, the way he sort of evolved in his real estate business. And I think a couple of key things came out to me. One was start simple, keep focused, do not run around and chase the next shiny object and know your shelf and know yourself. So I think these are the three guiding principles that I garnered from the conversation I had with him. You know, he said, don't try to overcomplicate things. And as he, the, one of the things that he liked about property or, or land, I should say, as opposed to flipping houses, was that it's a sort of a simpler proposition. It's simpler to see what you're buying. There's not hidden things. And it's easy to find out who the owner is. Uh, and I thought those were some really good things that, that helped him hone in his skills and develop his skills in buying these properties. The other thing uh, that I thought was interesting is don't chase the next sh shiny object. Find something you're passionate about, find something you like, and, and keep working on it. And as many, as many of us have seen, there's a lot of folks who just bounce from idea to idea to idea and never make any real progress on any one of them. So I thought that was another good takeaway. How about you, Mike? You know, I'll be honest. When I first looked at Jack's website and I and I kind of thought about this, uh, the business model, at first, honestly, the, the value added wasn't totally clear. And, I, you know, I thought, okay, I, I might not trust the, the, the motives of this, uh, this guy. Um, but after the conversation, it really became clear to me that this is an entrepreneur with a passion that's carved out a niche. He's differentiated himself from the market. Uh, and I think he's created genuine value for some people going after this kind of affordable, fairly straightforward, easy way to get into the real estate market um, with profit potential, with um, a, a scalable business model, something that works all over the world in a lot of cases, but certainly in the U.S. Um, and it has value. And the, and the personal story is interesting and meaningful. You know, he found this hole in the market and then he kind of exploited this hole and grew a business around the philosophy that I think in, it was clear to me that he believes genuinely is helping people. What do you think? Yeah, I, I agree. I, I thought the notion of uh, scalable, that's one of the things you mentioned. I thought that was interesting too, right? He talks about buying his first piece of land. Uh, he made a few thousand dollars on it. Then he took that, put it back into his business to buy another piece of land made some money on that, and he built on it. And that's one of the things that you always hear uh, You know that successful entrepreneurs do. They take any of the profits that they might make in their business, and they put them back into their business uh, to grow that business. Uh, I think the other interesting thing that you mentioned there, Mike, is, is he, he carved out his niche, right? The, 
the flipping houses market is pretty crowded, right? There, there's probably a half dozen shows on TV about how to flip houses and how to do all that stuff. And, and he came to the conclusion, Jack came to the conclusion that, boy, this is risky, right? You buy these things and you never quite know. And uh, there's a lot of competition in that marketplace. So he uh, went after the land piece instead, which I thought was sort of clever. And I also found it interesting is that now as his business has grown, he has gotten into buying apartments and these larger sort of pieces of, of property, uh, a, a piece of land with a building on it. And he's gotten into sort of the, the rental aspect of, uh, of real estate. So I thought that was really cool. And this is a classic case of learning by doing, too, Bela. He got really good at the simple stuff, right, which is land, unimproved land, essentially. I'm sure made some mistakes, right, learned from it, and then applied those skills to the kind of the residential and the commercial real estate market, which I know is much, much more complicated and much riskier. Um, so it's a neat case of, of, you're right, specializing and then branching out only when you have prerequisite knowledge to succeed. Yeah, and and this notion of, of learning by doing, I think, was an, a, another great point you just made, Mike. In that, when he's buying a piece of uh, property for four or five thousand um, dollars, and if he loses money on it, he's only going to lose four or five thousand dollars. If you're buying a house to flip it, you're probably paying I don't know seventy, eighty, ninety, a hundred thousand dollars, maybe a lot more, and that could be a fatal error if you make a mistake on that. Whereas by learning by doing here, he's he started out small, he made these small little purchases. He learned and he built on them. So if any one of them went bad, it wasn't going to take his business down. Whereas if you're only flipping two or three houses a year, one of those goes bad, your business is in big trouble. So it's really a way of managing your risk and learning by doing. So I thought that was another uh, great thing that he, uh, another good learning value that he had here in this uh, interview. Very clear. And then the last issue that I think is fascinating is that this is a cool story of immigrants. I mean, both Jack and his wife immigrated. They're a very international couple, right, partnership. Um, and, you know, I'm an immigrant now in the other direction from the U.S. to Germany. You've got an immigrant background. I mean, this is a common theme. Um, and in today's political climate, I think it's worth saying, hey, no, I don't care where, what your stance is on issues. That's your business. And, you know, one of the, the things about the U.S. is you you have freedom of choice and you can say what you want to say. But I think it's pretty clear to me that wherever you stand on the issues related to immigration, that you should make sure that whatever candidate you support or policies you support, that there's room in your plan and in your mental model about what immigration should and shouldn't be, that there's room in the plan for people like Jack, right, for people who come to the U.S. or whatever country you're talking about and add value and do things legally and do things ethically and make the world better, not only for himself, but for others, right? He's not only made himself money, but he's also made a lot of money for other people. And by taking out the middleman, right, by, by, by streamlining a process, he's created efficiencies um, in what was a very imperfect marketplace. So I think just, you know, think about some of these examples. You hear a lot of negative examples of immigration, but this is one of those positive examples, I think, where the world is a better place because somebody made a move to a new place. I don't know. What do you think, Bela? Well, well said, Mike. Very well said. You know, just as it's gotten easier uh, in the last 50 years to move goods and services around the world, and it's gotten more important to move these goods and services around the world, uh, the same thing is true with the movement of people and the shifting of skills. 
and and the need for various different skills that individuals have is is kind of changing around the world and there's places where they need the skill that you might have uh and so it's it's a good opportunity for you to go there and i think as a as a world community we need to figure out how to make that more fluid and more easy to do as opposed to more difficult do you think that somebody can be have a skill set in one country and then move to another country and have that skill set be more valuable or 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 create more value absolutely absolutely i think you know you you might be um i can't think of an example but let's just talk about jack for a, a second you know i think uh the property laws uh, the real estate laws in the united states are pretty open it's pretty easy to buy and sell land there are other parts of the world where it's real difficult to do that uh, yeah, just because of Germany. yeah just because of government regulation or you know whatever uh, culture. Uh, so here's, here's, uh, you know, his business model probably does not work in a fair number of countries around the world, but it works here very well. So there, I think that's a great example. Yeah. Interesting. Great. So I think you'll have some links to some of the information, uh, that Jack was talking about in the show notes, right? Yes. So I'll put, uh, his website, uh, uh his, uh, his uh, school that he does. I'll put some links in there. I think there's three or four that uh, will, they'll be in the show notes so you can find them there. if you want to connect with Jack. Great. Thanks for tracking them down, Bela. That was interesting. Yeah, it was a good one. I enjoyed it. I learned a lot. All right. So listeners, we're once again, happy that you joined us in our adventure for the week. Uh, we hope that you found the last hour or so interesting and thought provoking. And as we always do, we have two small requests. First is if you have questions about what we discussed, suggestions about topics or potential guests, uh, please don't hesitate to get in touch with us. A great way is via email at bela.and.mike at gmail.com. And if you like what we're doing, the second thing we ask you to do is hit subscribe or like on your podcast app uh, or even be radical and consider writing us a quick review. And if you know others that might find us interesting, please share us with them. So that's it for this week. Thanks for spending time with Mike and I. We look forward to you joining us for our next episode. Signing off from upstate New York. See you next week. Sounds great, Bela. That's it for this week from over here in Münster, Germany. Have a great week. This podcast is produced for Mike and I by our friends at Busy Media of Schenectady, New York. They can be found at busymedia.co.com.